Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, thank you so much for joining us for another episode here at Africa Climate Conversations podcast. My name is Sophie Mbogo. Now, we're still in Southern Africa, in Zimbabwe in particular, and we are talking about the perennial water crisis. Thank you so much, Professor, for joining us. Welcome to the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. Please introduce yourself. My name is uh, Professor Tamuka Niwatiwa. I'm a professor at the University of Zimbabwe in the Department of Biological Sciences, and I'm also with the Lake Kariba Research Station. You have done research in mm-hmm. terms of Lake Kariba yes. and uh, the Chivero Dam yes. in, in Harare. Yes. Let's talk about water challenges mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe. Okay. The issue of water is very key to development and the issues around shortages of uh, water availability are global issues. Zimbabwe is not uh, exempted from the problems of uh, water availability. But when we're also talking about water availability, we're looking at it from two aspects. One is to do with quantity and also to do with quality. I might say that maybe Zimbabwe fares a bit better in terms of its uh, geographical setting and climate in terms of rainfall patterns compared to other countries in Southern Africa, like South Africa, which is largely semi-arid, Botswana, Namibia. But also parts of Zimbabwe, we are quite stratified in terms of water availability, in terms of quantity and also quality. So let me address the issue of uh, quantity first. This resonates very closely to issues of climate change and so on. Over time, we have witnessed water shortages I can say most urban areas now in Zimbabwe are experiencing water shortages. That is water for domestic supply. There are many reasons, of course, that uh, have led to that kind of scenario. Problems arising from uh, rapid urbanization and the lack of uh, the necessary infrastructure to respond to that uh, demand for water. Then we have many documented cases in Zimbabwe of deterioration in water quality. That comes in the form of pollution. Even if you have the water, it's not in a usable state. In other words, we call that uh, loss of ecosystem services. Because we're saying water is an ecosystem. We must derive services from that. So for Harare, for example, I can give Harare is one of the most publicized cases of how this has evolved. We've got destruction of wetlands, loss of wetlands through development, building houses, construction. Government has tried to come up with a policy to protect wetlands, which are the main water sources for Harare. That has not really worked very well. So development is going on. There are lots of contested cases uh, in the courts right now with regards to uh, utilization of wetlands like Monavel, Highlands, Borodo flays, so Pomona flays. So these are highly impacted by uh, developments. And again, now this has impacted uh, water supply and then also water quality management, collapse of the infrastructure for sewage treatment and processing by the city of Harare over the years. Just a general lack of investment in that particular area has just resulted in you know, massive water pollution. And then, of course, also linked to declines in water level supply. So everything now goes around a negative feedback. And the result is that there is no water in our taps anymore. Mm. You know, a situation which was not there maybe 20 years back. So nowadays, most uh, suburbs in Arabi, maybe they get water once a week. Those that get them, the others don't at all. Most new settlements don't have any water infra- supply infrastructure that are coming up because there's no capacity to do that. Government recently commissioned the construction of Kunji Dam as an alternative source for city of Harare. I think that maybe just take a couple of years for that to happen. But we also have other cases like the city of Blawayo, 
think this has been known for decades now. There's serious water shortages there for years and years. There's rationing and etc. etc. Generally, it's a very dry area. There's the Guai project, the Zambezi water pipeline. It's, it's underway now. I think they've finished the construction of the Guai Shangani Dam. The purpose of those is to, sub, to take water from the Zambezi river system to also divert water to supply the city of Harare. Mm -hmm. I think that's a long-term project, but I think it's been on the pipeline for three decades. But now I think something has been happening now. I think that could be the long-term solution for the city of Blaue. The impact of that on the city of Blaue has been um, a disinvestment because, you know, industry and so, they, you know, they, they can only function where there is water availability. So companies and so they have left Blaue. Then they moved to Harare, assuming the situation was better. And then, of course, now the economic consequences of that is loss of jobs and so on in Bulawayo as a result of that. So you can see the linkage now where you've got between uh, water supply and then the other economic, uh, negative economic uh, impacts. Because pre-2000 and so on, Bulawayo was the economic hub, industrial hub for the country. But now, you know, if you move around, you just see that these are just ghost factories now. Most of them have closed down or they've relocated elsewhere because of water supply. So it's a situation which is very dynamic. It's being addressed now for urban areas. But if you go to most urban areas, I think except for Mutare, which is located in the Eastern Highlands, where generally there is better water supply. And in the late 80s, there was the Pungwe water supply project that from the Eastern Highlands. That ensures that there is um, a reliable supply for the city of Mutare. But again, of course, this can be subjected to, to changes in you know, things like climate change, rainfall patterns, because again, this is natural water supply. Then if you move to the Lake Hariba Basin, Lake Hariba is in the middle of Zambezi Basin, but the Zambezi River itself you know, starts all the way from DRC, Angola. So it's got a very huge catchment, passing through Namibia, Botswana, and uh, Zambia, and also Mozambique. So these are all stakeholders in the system. So it's a very large system and what happens elsewhere will also have an effect on the Lake Hariba system. I've been working in Lake Hariba for 10 years now. I can roughly say for about five years back, that's when we observed very serious drawdowns. Drawdowns are declines in water level in the lake. That had never been seen before. And that situation has continued until now. We need a flooding serious flooding to take place for the lake to fill up right now. So the shoreline has changed dramatically. It has moved inward into the lake great distances now. Things that were never there, we never thought we would witness such serious drawdown in the lake. But that has huge implications now in terms of the productivity of the lake itself, the impact on fisheries. As a, Last year around December, I was in Binga doing a, a study for the development of fisheries management plan for Lake Kariba. People were actually telling us, well, where we used to fish, it's just now dry. Where our villages where there's just no more water. The water is gone, it's receded. So the fishing grounds have changed, everything is done. The fisheries have declined significantly in those areas. So the impacts are huge. So areas where people just, you know, would cross by boat, they're just now driving or walking by foot. So this is very, very serious. So inflows that come during the rainfall season from December all the way from Angola and so on. We get the maximum flood starting from April, March, April. That's when it reaches Kariba all the way up to about August, July, August. You'd see that the lake is full, but now that's not happening anymore. Mm. It is just a slight increase and then that's it. So it's been happening like that every year. The first year we thought, okay, it went down, it came up to normal levels. And then the next year it didn't come back to the next level. Then the next year it kept receding and kept receding. And now, you know, you see the water is far away now.
on the Zimbabwean side, what are the apart from now from the energy generation and fishing, what else is the Kariba water used for? It supplies the uh, urban water supply. There's also some agricultural activity, irrigation, banana plantations and so on that are there and citrus. Mm. Yeah, and then there's the Kariba urban water supply. And then there is, uh, of course, tourism. There was infrastructure that was built on the shoreline, like a hotel, for example, or a lodge. The beauty of it is it's constructed by the shoreline. You go there as a visitor and you can just walk to the waterline and enjoy that. But now if that's one kilometer away from the tourist infrastructure, it's not like you can move your hotel <laughs> and follow the water, you know, like that. Even the boat harbors, they're moving them further away towards the water. Changes the such development because of actually that has happened also, especially in Lake Naivasha yes, in, yes, in yes, Kenya. Yes. One thing I find beautiful and interesting about human mm -hmm. beings is that we see all these beautiful natural resources yes, 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 and then we want to now build and live in them. Yes, yes, yes. But then again, we do not think of the ecological damages that we will do to this. Development was not that much, but although now there's been a growth in terms of huge urbanization, one of the problems, of course, which I have witnessed is, of course, Again, like any other urban city in Harare, there's not that committed uh, growth in terms of the urban water quality management system to grow with the, uh, the growth of the town. So Kariba has grown significantly in the last 20 years, mainly in terms of the residential side, not so much on the industrial side. And one thing that is there, is, of course, is the sewage pollution that is increasing. So because again, the, the sewage system has been completely overwhelmed. And even as now this development a... happens, <clears throat> there is no enforcement of laws, law enforcement in terms of ensuring that they will be cleaning their effluent. Yes, of course, you know, the, sometimes people just want to live for the day or manage things for the day. To say, okay, at least, well, for Lake Kariba is a large water body, so it can sort of maybe dilute the, the waste. It starts like that, but then eventually, you know, you have zones that are polluted. So for now, people underestimate the impacts of that. But now if you combine it, for example, with declining water levels, then now you are actually going for a recipe for disaster. I can give the example of Lake Chiwero. I mean, we used to have international tourist competitions like for fishing, recreational fishing, Lake Chiwero, international tournaments where people would actually come from all over the world just to participate in fishing. If you go there, it's, it's a, just a complete disaster. All that is gone. It's basically just a sewage pond. Same thing also applies to Lake Manyama, where you have the international Lake Manyama International Best is a fish, uh, best uh, fishing tournament. All those things are gone now. Everything is, and also even from species diversity perspective, impacts like pollution and so on. These are also drivers in a way. So we now have declining species diversity. If we like Lake Chair is now almost a monospecies lake. In other words, it's just now dominated by one exotic fish species. Uh, the Orochromis uh, niloticus, the Nile tilapia. Everything else is gone. I remember 20 years ago, you could even find uh, tiger fish in Lake Chivero. But now it's gone. And at the same time, it's overfished. So it's just one sewage pond. So now we now have problems of water supply. Now the costs, our city of Harare continuously struggles with getting the chemicals to treat the water, the foreign currency. This is a huge budget now around water treatment. Because you now need to use more chemicals. Everything changes because you now have to try to make sure if your water is supposed to meet the minimum standards uh, for drinking, then it means you now have to keep adding more and more lime and chlorine, and which also has its own uh, effects of trichlorohalomethanes, for example, that cause cancer and so on. And then even when the water comes through the tap, whenever it does, you know, people complain that they see algae in it, it's green, and 
taste is just terrible. You can't drink it. Even it's, after all the costs involved. Yeah, even after all drink. the costs involved. Yeah. Mm. And in terms of the impact, these chemicals, because these are the water then, if you yeah. don't have a choice and you can't buy water, yeah, then exactly. it's the same water you yeah, can yeah, exactly. use, right? Now there's a problem. If well. you're doing gardening, probably it's the same yeah. water. Yeah. What is the impact? Yes, yeah. because we've published on that, where we've looked at the impacts in terms of water quality, things like heavy metals and so on. Uh, and also things like bioaccumulation and things like fish. And we've actually raised alarm around that. From our findings, we, we basically say this is condemned water. It's not safe to drink. You know, the, the city of Harare water is no longer safe to drink. The chemicals, what are the chemicals that you find in it for, that, for it to be condemned? Um, I mean, the use of the excessive use of chlorine, for example, because again, it creates other chemical reactions in the water and so on, or causing all these problems. Then there's problem of turbidity, problem of algae, because again, the whole filtration system becomes, I mean, say the water treatment facility, you're trying to get water out. So the time, the whole cycle that is actually required to make sure that the water meets that standard, the things like filtration processes that normally take quite some time. There's no time for that anymore because there's such a huge demand for water. So again, the whole efficiency of the system uh, is not working well. But then you say, where is the problem that if you go to the sewage uh, works, uh, failed sewage works and so on, you go there, you know, I mean, they'll just tell you the systems are no longer functioning. So you're basically having raw sewage going into the lake. You know, the city actually sits on its catchment. Yeah, so it means basically use water that we're supposed to recycle. Exactly. Now you pollute your own water and then you expect also to treat that same water use it. So even if you go to all our rivers, I mean, they're just switch ponds. Manyame River, Mturugi, Mundale, then we have uh, Marimba River, Kuisi River, they're all heavily polluted. They're basically almost like sewage lanes. But these used to be rivers where people could go and uh, fish and so on. You can't find anything there. So there's just virtually no life. Because even the level of oxygen and everything. Yeah, yeah, levels of oxygen in Lecturero, the fish kills in Lecturero, that are always publicized. So one of the things I noted, like for 10 years, Nairobi mm -hmm. developed the entire metropolitan mm -hmm. without a plan. Yeah, okay. And one you find that most of the cities, like Nairobi was basically planned yeah, right. for the colonial, yes, that setup. space mm -hmm. set up and everything. <clears throat> and you find in terms of even the number of people and the uses, mm -hmm. the plan they had for that particular yes, city. Yes. Speak to us about the Harare Metropolitan, the planning, how it's evolved. Are we still managing these cities in terms of the colonial times? Have we upgraded it? And mm -hmm. if we've not, why? Because the reason why we're having very strained infrastructure yeah, and yeah. that is not being updated. Yeah. Yes, I think for Harare, I think if I recall the figures, I think say just pre-independence, mm -hmm. the population maybe was about 250,000, 300,000 uh, inhabitants yeah. for Harare. And then now the estimates would be maybe about three, four million, at least more than two million. Of course, the official records will differ between what's actually the and what the city of Harare will tell you. Maybe they might tell you we're under a million, but everyone knows that that's not true because they've not even updated their statistics. They've no means actually to do that. So Harare is just a huge sprawl now. We look at infrastructure development to address things like water reticulation and water supply management. Nothing much has really been done. Whatever has been done, it does not correspond to the growth of the city. Most developments now, you don't have any, any systems in place. We had a project with the Japanese. Um, they wanted to work with us on the, on the water situation for Harare. And of course, one of their proposals was to come up with a, a catchment-wide sort of management strategy 
we did some steps towards that. You know, we changed the whole approach to dealing with this issue. So that, for example, if you're dealing with water pollution, the city of Harare should not just look at dealing with water pollution or sewage treatment as something that they deal with at the sewage treatment facility. Waste comes maybe from the users themselves. These are stakeholders in water pollution. The idea is to try to bring everybody together and say, look, this is a catchment issue. It's not just a city of Harare problem. All various departments that are involved, environmental management agencies, water supply agencies, industry, residents, associations, and everybody coming together now to try to come up with something more like a, a, a core collaborative management or co-management strategy approach. It's something we proposed, but of course, you know, it didn't really take off. But this is something that is really required. And also when we're the Japanese here, they're actually saying, look, the way you are planning your infrastructure is outdated for the size of your city. You now need to come up with decentralized systems and so on. They talked about these things. A centralized system can no longer work for a city for maybe over a million people. Mm. So you actually have to think differently. So proposals have been put there. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it could be an issue of resources and so on to address these issues. That's even what I was going to ask you what makes it, because you talked about the wetlands as well. Where now protecting the wetlands was not possible. Yeah, it's a um, fight. It's a really a fight. Yeah, what, what makes it so <coughs> difficult in terms of, apart from, I know there is <coughs> sanctions for yeah, a while in Zimbabwe. What is this that makes it so difficult in terms of implementing? Well, I think it's the biggest question, I think, for a lot of people is to really say, what's the problem? Yeah. Is it we don't have the right skills? Mm -hmm. But then you actually find that, no, we do have the right skill set. Yeah. If you look at the profile of the people we have managing some of these institutions, they seem to be people who should be competent to address some of these issues. And these issues are not new to them. These are issues uh, that they are aware of. I don't know whether it goes back to the resources uh, or the will to address these issues, for example, or the issue of wetlands, for example, this has been well publicized. I mean, the issues are in courts all the time. Environmental activists are trying to fight for the protection of wetlands and uh, you know, to prevent people from building houses and so on. But I think a lot of it, I think, would just be greed and corruption and so on. Because, I mean, land is available elsewhere. There are reasons why these areas were left uh, protected. Uh, government actually published a wetland uh, master plan through the Ministry of Higher and Tertiary Education, Science and Technology where they've documented these wetlands, they've mapped them um, using remote sensing and all these other technologies. And even the Environmental Management Agency you know, prohibits development uh, and construction on wetlands. We also have city bylaws uh, from the city council that prohibit certain activities like dumping of waste, um, cultivation on wetlands, because once you start cultivating wetlands, you know, they dry up and you, know, you change the hydrology of these systems. All these things are in place. I don't know whether it's development, is it overdevelopment, is it a rapid urbanization that has created so much pressure, goes with issues of urban poverty, for example. Where in the past, perhaps it was not necessary for somebody to try and get a piece of land and grow maize in town and so on. But again, also these are things that are also being sometimes promoted through government policy pronouncements, which are in the media. For example, to say we want to promote urban agriculture. It's okay to talk about urban agriculture as a concept, but where? Because if you say urban agriculture and then the next thing this person is going to cultivate on a wetland, I don't know whether that's urban agriculture. So we did, maybe then the definition changes there. If you move around during the rainfall season, you actually see these seed companies, prominent seed companies, fertilizer companies, you know, promoting, you know, demonstration stands 
for maize and so on for their seed varieties right on wetlands with their big sites, prominent companies that are known. So you actually see on the roadside, oh, this is our seed variety. <laughs> it's actually being cultivated uh, on, on, a, on a wetland. So, but the bylaws are there to say, you know, this should be enforced. But then, of course, you know, people that maybe they could say, you know, we are, we are so poverty, we need food and so on. So it's almost like things are kind of unraveling. Mm, coming up with very beautiful laws, mapping all the resources yes, we have, but no one is monitoring and no one is implementing that. It's very difficult to implement. Then you've got, of course, you know, the development, uh, these development companies, land development companies, they call them land barons. They arrest them occasionally and so on. Somehow get authorization to start developments on, on wetlands. Mm. And then they start building houses there. Well, some of these wetlands, they're also located in prime areas, um, you know, low density areas, and so on, which are you know, prime land. So then they are, suddenly you find somebody's got a permit to construct on those wetlands. And then some of these are some of the issues where, which are restored by the courts. Some of them have gone all the way up to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court has actually ordered that development must be stopped. Mm. So it's, it's a constant fight right now. Yeah, because sometimes I also find that in terms of conflicting policies. Government comes up with a policy. Yes, yes, yes. And a pronouncement is made. Yeah. But just when it's actually implementing its own policy, yeah, right. then the same government from yeah. a different ministry comes with another policy that completely yes. goes against it's, the other policy yeah. that the government yeah. had given. Yeah, exactly. How much of a challenge is that? Yeah, I, I think that's perhaps that could also explain the, the confusion I think that, that exists. Yeah. Every ministry or agency or responsible authority is actually trying to you know meet its objectives and mm. goals. Yeah, I mean, if maybe from the side of social welfare, for example, they might say, well, urban poverty is, is rising. Previously, we didn't talk about much about that. We talk about raw poverty. But now you've got lots of problems of urban poverty. And so from a social uh, welfare perspective, you know, it might sound, it sounds very logical to say, okay, you know, grow your, your, your plot of maize. <laughs> you know, at least it will alleviate your problem. So it, it, it makes sense from the Ministry of Social Welfare if they are advocating for something like that. Yeah. But then, of course, now if you go to the environment, then there's conflict. Then if you go to the, the uh, city of uh, the councils, then there's conflict with that. And then eventually you've got this whole conflict. I think this is where we are really right yeah. now. Yeah, the challenge of, now you see now the challenge of operating in silos where the ministries don't speak to each other. Yeah, they don't. This is what we saw when we were trying to promote the, the lake catchment management strategy. Because one of the approaches is really to bring everybody on board. Uh -huh. You know, whether they like it or not, drag them, local government, every interested stakeholder. And I think this is perhaps where we need to be bold enough to take that step. Bring everybody to the table. Everybody. And let's start talking about these kind of issues. Then, you know, there you can now begin to see where you've got policy inconsistencies, conflicts. And then you can actually try to begin to work out a resolution. Mm. Yeah, because it, it cannot be resolved. We, we, we actually determined that, no, this cannot be resolved by maybe say maybe getting another loan from world bank or mm -hmm. something you know to say okay let's build another sewage facility mm -hmm. or something it's not going to resolve the problem the problem actually requires an all stakeholder involvement somebody to actually bring everybody together and say look we need to resolve this in a holistic manner yeah and talking of stakeholder involvement i'm thinking of karate being built on a catchment area yeah, yeah. and you know thinking of it needs water it needs more food yeah, yeah. and when you look at the whole farming system when you yeah. look at the conversion 
of wetlands yeah. and forests into because when you come in into our there are large scale farming. To what extent is that also now a siltation in our rivers, yes. reducing the amount of water that we have yes. in Har the city of Harare? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we I, we've got a, a, a PhD student who did a study on that <laughs> just to try in terms of how much of you know the lake the lecture for example will remain in the next 30 years or so due to issues of sedimentation silt siltation coming from the because if you move around during the rain season you can see people cultivating on hill slopes and so on and that's also one of the reasons if some of the sewage works have uh, clogged up like fell sewage works it just needs to be dislodged they need to remove so much sand and everything is just accumulating in the sewage treatment facilities if so you go to the rivers as well you also go to the lake itself so again, it's also affecting the water because again, we are getting a shrinking water resource in terms of quantity because of that. Because once you've got your rainfall season, most of the water just you know uh, goes throughout the gates. You know, it's not retained anymore because the lake volume is uh, is depleting because of that. So these are issues that are piling up. That's why I say that now is the time they should, we should be addressing these issues because if we leave them as the, at the rate that they are going, it's going to get to a point where it's going to be impossible to, to begin to solve the issues. When I look at the water sector, I really feel that resources, yes, we can talk about them, but I think without the correct planning framework, what is our framework to address these issues? That's why I said, even if we were to place $1 billion to construct new sewage facilities, will it solve the problem? Just for a few days. So I think it's where we are starting the whole planning framework. Yes, in our integrated catchment management plan, resources are very key. But we don't start by talking about resources mm -hmm. for finances. They are going to be part of it. But we don't want to start because everybody will just raise their hand and say we have no money. So if you put financial resources first, you know, we really miss out on actually addressing the foundational issues that are creating the problem. So in our proposals, we're actually saying we need to find out how do we fund water. Because, for example, water is not a profitable business. It's not really something you can really make money out of it. It's sort of course the bottled water industry. But when you're talking about supplying water for, for, for a city or so, you know, it's really, it's maybe something you can just break even. Otherwise, it becomes, you know, very expensive. It's more like a social service. So you have to look at all these kind of things and say, okay, so how do we put in a, maybe a, a revenue collection. Is it still there? Is it still working? Are people paying their bills and, you know, and so on? But you find, of course, maybe over time now, people are resisting paying bills because they feel they're not getting service delivery. Now again, you've got another egg and chicken situation. So who starts paying? The residents don't want to pay bills because they feel the city council is not performing. City council also feels the residents should pay. And then you've got a stalemate. And then there's actually no money circulating within the system. So this is the issue where the whole foundation has to be corrected first. Yeah. If the city council can sit down with the residents and talk to the residents and they come up with a very clear plan which the residents can buy into to say, okay, this is how we are going to address this thing. Then people can develop confidence, you know, in such a plan. And then, you know, we can now get things rolling. Because in the past years, we used to get donor aid and so on to assist uh, in certain programs. But then also, also our local revenues were we're also sufficient to run, run some programs. So yeah, the issue of resources is definitely there, but I think no matter how much money we put in, as long as we don't address the whole planning issues and, and so on, because what sort of plan are you going to put the money into? Are you going to put money into a centralized system? That is already, other experts actually saying cannot work for a city of two million people, but people would run perhaps to put money there. 
that's already failed. If the planning <clears throat> system was addressed, would Harare be able to, or Zim, would, would it be able to finance? Thinking about the sanction without relying on donor funding, would it be able to finance its own system? Yeah, I, I think it would. I think Zimbabwe would be able to do that. Because I think what would happen is money would be put into the right places to actually address the right issues. Because right now, if you're just putting money into something that is, you know, just redundant, nothing is working anymore. And you just keep pouring money into it, it's just flogging a dead horse, which is what's happening. Because right now, we are told the services are ongoing, but nothing is improving or everything's just going down. So it means money is not being put where it actually works best. So even if you don't have a lot of money, this is what I've learned even in my career as a scientist. You've got a few resources. If you prioritize them and you put them where they are results-based uh, in terms of output, you know, you begin to reap results slowly. And then, you know, you start moving up. Because it's not something you can solve once, but it requires that integrated approach. Really very, very clear where are you going to put the money to address water issues exactly into what because right now i wouldn't really encourage even getting the money what for that would be my question money for what <laughs> <laughs> that's why i said every government department right now if you call them everyone will say we want money what for to do what exactly with the money what do you hope for in terms of now given uh, we are seeing massive drought and impacts mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the scientific community has projected for southern africa mm -hmm less water mm -hmm. and the projection is for Kariba it will have redu reduced 60 percent mm -hmm. its ability of producing electricity yeah. and that also means in terms of the levels of water available for fisheries yeah, tourism exactly. and all that yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, you know given that whole climatic um, predictions yeah, right. and what we're seeing already mm -hmm. you know what you've seen actually what do you hope for? Like, what is what is a sustainable way? Mm. What do we need to do as nations, cooperatively, um, transboundary, or even Zimbabwe itself, yeah, yeah. and different stakeholders? What can we do to manage the resource that we have? Yeah. Kariba, the Zambezi, Chivero, yeah, yeah, Manyame, yeah, the yeah, rivers yeah. that we have sustainably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to be serious about it. I think that's the first thing. Because the situation is developing, and it's not stopping. And like you're saying, the outlook, you know, for Southern Africa is bleak in terms of our water resources. We don't even need to say anything about countries like South Africa, where we know there's water yeah. rationing yeah. and cities like Cape Town at zero days. And so, I mean, it's, it's not news mm. that we have, um, you know, a serious uh, water crisis. And for Kariba, we, we must admit we took a backseat. I personally, I never imagined that this could happen in such a short space of time. Was for me, it has happened within a space. Of, I mean, I've worked for Kariba for a long time, but when I was really involved uh, heading the institute there, it's within a space of 10 years. And within less than 10 years, I would say about five years, this whole dramatic change has, has happened. I never imagined that would be possible. Wow. So within a space of five to six years, it's like everything has fallen apart. So it means there's urgency to this whole issue. But again, at a government level, I think there is definitely agency uh, to see how, how can we actually address this thing. Uh, not just as a country, because some of these are shared basins. In fact, most of our basins are shared. Yeah. The Pungwe, so now also doing some, we're doing some studies also on the Pungwe basin recently. You know, Baira has got issues. I'll give the example of the city of Baira, situated on, on the Indian Ocean. It drives its water from the Pungwe River Basin. The Pungwe River Basin emanates from Zimbabwe in the sure. Eastern Highlands. Mm. 
That's where the water comes from. Basically, we say most of nearly all the water. 90% of the water comes from Zimbabwe. And then now, if declines in water levels is, on, is causing salt water intrusion into the Pungwe estuary. Well, now, Beira now has to get its water way, way further up the Pungwe River because that's where it gets its fresh water. It cannot use water from the Indian Ocean. And Beira's water supply is, they're talking of cities with millions of people there. Otherwise, they'll be drawing salt water. Yeah. So, so they're constantly moving their intakes from the Pungwe River upstream because they, they can't take in salt water which is coming from the sea. Because the way it works is as long as you've got enough water flowing, yes, you yes. know, it will push, push it will maintain. Mm -hmm. you know. But now if your water levels start drawing, yeah. dropping, mm. then it means okay. salt water salt starts water comes salt up. Comes up yeah. yeah. But I'm saying it's something which is being worked on because now people they realize the urgency of you know regional cooperation, intercooperation to these issues and um, so that you know governments should stop playing lip service to these kind of issues and really <laughs> you know say we need action. But what sort of action? Again, I go back again to my main point of, you know, you cannot continue doing the same thing. No. It's now time to explore, engage even us as academics and so on, because we are basically think tanks. Engage everybody. Try to broaden the scope of engagement. Thank you so much, Professor Niwatiwa. That is where we end our conversation today. That was Professor Tamuka Niwatiwa from the University of Zimbabwe, Department of Biological Sciences and Ecology at the Lake Kariba Research Station, talking about the perennial water crisis in Zimbabwe and specifically in Harare. Now you can access this episode and many other episodes that we have produced over the years uh, from Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and every other podcast channel that you access your other podcasts from. And you can also access it using our website. We have a new, yes, we have a beautiful newly designed website that is very podcast friendly. So you do not have to click on so many other layers of pages for you to be able to access your favorite podcast. And you can be able to actually be able to just access the player on the homepage. So please do head over there and just check it out so you can access this particular episode and many other using our website www.africaclimateconversations.com. Now I'll see you again in two weeks time. Kwaheri for now. My name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations. <laughs>